the goodness of God. Amen. And we've got the we've got the sound on. Isn't they good? <laughs> so here we are, girls, for another morning together. A morning that we believe God is going to come and meet us. He's been so faithful recently, hasn't he? We've really sensed that he's doing and wants to do something new in, in all of our hearts. And the last time that we were here, we spoke about um, David being crowned king of all the tribes of Israel. We spoke from 2 Samuel 5, verses 1 to 12. And actually, uh, a lot of the stuff that we talked about last time, I sort of couldn't really get away from these chapters. So we're kind of sort of staying parking there a wee bit. Uh, because I felt like God was saying that as David was crowned king of Israel, and then he, you remember we talked about how uh, he and his men took the city of Jerusalem, the city of peace, and then we saw that his house was built. And when, whenever the Lord saw to it that, that a house was built for David, it said that David knew that the Lord had established him as king of Israel. And uh, I just felt that we needed to look back on some of the secrets of David's life that had got him to that point. Because we've all got a past, and I think a lot of the things that David learned, you've been learning as well, and you're probably further on than what you imagine or where you are. You're probably, if, if really, if these truths were activated in your spirit this morning, you, I believe, would realise that you're further on than what you believe. But we have an enemy who is a liar. And he doesn't want you to believe these truths. He doesn't want you to have confidence in God. He wants to take your confidence in God away from you. He wants to steal and kill and destroy. And so uh, the title that I felt God was saying this morning was Moving on to your best years means. Now, David was coming into being king. And it was, you know, looking ahead as king, his best years were in front of him. And I believe that God wants you to know that it's possible at whatever age you are today, at whatever your past has been, whatever has been going on in your life, that God wants you to know that you can move on to from today, you can move on into your best years. Can I get a hallelujah for that? Who is up for moving into your best years? I am believing I'm coming into my best years. And I would love that you could catch that and believe that. And have faith for that this morning. So our title is Moving On to Your Best Years Means. And we're going to look at some of the things that it meant for David. What he came through. And the first thing that I wanted to say, and this is something that God's been putting in my heart over the last week or two. Moving on to your best years means having confidence in God. The enemy does not want you to have confidence in God. He wants you to doubt. And you know, David for me was a young boy out on the hills looking after the sheep. He learned that God was a God he could trust. And, you know, I believe, uh, I suppose we don't really know when he wrote the, third, the 23rd Psalm, but I actually feel that certainly the lessons that he learned that were written in Psalm 23, he, I believe he learned those as a boy when he was out looking after the sheep, spending a lot of time on his own with a few sheep in the wilderness. 
And so I'm going to read you, I'm just going to want to read through before we start Psalm 23. And I want just to quickly look at some of the things that David felt confident about. And I want to challenge you. What does this psalm mean to you? Can you say, like David said, that you know and you have confidence that the Lord is your shepherd? Can you really say that? Have you trusted Jesus as your saviour? Have you invited him to be your saviour? You know, Jesus was the greater son of David. And he said that he was the, great, the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. And as we start off today, I just want to check if there's anyone here who has never invited Jesus to be your saviour and your shepherd. Because that's where it all starts. Up until the moment that we invite Jesus into our heart to save us from our sins and to live in our hearts. Up until that moment, we don't know the shepherd. But from the moment that we invite him to come in and save us and live in us, from that moment on, we know the shepherd and we have confidence that the shepherd is with us. Let me just read it to you from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, David said. He knew him personally. David said, I shall not want. In other words, he knew and he had confidence that God would take care of him and meet his needs, provide for his needs, that God would be with him. He goes on to say, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. David had confidence that God was leading him, that he would guide him, that he was going to give him rest and peace. And he goes on to say, he restores my soul. He knew that God was the God of restoration. And I wonder if there's anyone in here today and stuff has happened and you're in a bad place. And you need God to bring a restoration. You need God to do a miracle in your heart. Do you know he's the same God and he wants to restore you. He wants to do a new thing in your life. And we're going to look at that a little bit further on this morning. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David knew that God was a God who, who would guide him. You see, David knew and understood what it was like to take care of, a, of maybe more than a handful of sheep. I don't know how many sheep he cared for. But he knew that the sheep were dependent on him. And David knew that it was up to him to guide them to the where they would get plenty to eat and to, to take care of them. And David learned the lesson early that God was the shepherd, the shepherd's God, the God who cared for his people. And he learned that lesson through caring for the sheep. It says, Yea, David wrote, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. David knew that God would be with him. David knew that even when he was going through the valley of the shadow of death, he knew that God would be with him. And you know, that is something we need to remember, that whatever is going on in our lives, that God has promised never to leave us or forsake us. He's with us. Have you confidence that he's with you? In, every, in the ups and the downs, that he is with you, that he has promised he's never going to leave you, he's never going to forsake you. David had this kind of confidence in God. He said, I will fear no evil. Do you know, fear is one of the things that is plaguing so many, even of God's people. Fear of the future. Fear of 
of the past overtaken and being repeated again in our lives. Fear of, of all kinds of things. Fear of, of, of addictions. Fear of, of things going badly wrong. And you know, it's, it comes from the enemy. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is, is not of God. And perfect, his God's perfect love casts out fear. And God wants you and I to be rid of it. And you know, as I get older, and probably as some of you are getting older, I know that some of you are a lot younger than me, but maybe those who are, you know, there's something that comes with age where the enemy would try to bring fear as to what might be coming next. But God doesn't want us to live like that. He wants us to live in faith, and he wants us to, to receive his love because his perfect love casts out fear. And David said, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And when I was away this past 10 days, I have just sensed God's comfort. You know, when God corrects you, when God disciplines you, when God, when God shows you something that he, he wants to correct, it brings joy. It, he does. He, he does. He never brings condemnation. He doesn't want you to be ashamed. He doesn't want to condemn you. But he want because he loves you. He wants to correct you. And David realised that as he was guiding the sheep and having to use the rod and the staff at times to pull them in and get them into line, he realised that as he did that, he did it because he cared for the sheep. And he realised that God would correct him and pull him into line at times. Because God loved him and wanted the best for him. And that's what I want to say to you today. And we're going to, we're going to just challenge each other, I believe, this morning. Do we really believe that God wants to correct us? Do we believe that he wants to, cor to correct us because he loves us? Because he knows the plan and he knows the potential of your life. He knows what he wants to do with your life. The people he wants you to speak to. The things that he has for you. The gifts that he's put into you. He knows you. He knows you inside out and he knows the plans that he has for you. And they're good plans. And he wants to know, have you confidence in him? Are you walking without faith? Are you walking in a place where you're beginning to doubt and maybe doubt has overtaken you? And you're not believing, you don't have confidence anymore that he's a good plan up ahead for you. And I'm going to challenge that because that's a lie from the pit of hell. And God wants us to know that he is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. And then look what David says at the rest of the psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Listen, when, all, when our enemies are around us, the predators in our lives, the things that would eat you up, the danger that can be around us at time, times from enemies and when we think of enemies, we, we often think of situations and all the bad things that could happen. But you know, the greatest enemy we have is, is Satan himself, who fills our minds. And the greatest enemy you have are the lies that go round in your head. And when you listen to those lies, that God has no plan for you, that God really mustn't care for you, or this wouldn't have happened, when you begin to embrace and open up to those lies, do you know what happens? Those lies... Those enemies are all around you. And David learned that in the midst of his enemies, when his enemies surrounded him, that God was able to prepare a table of provision for him. He says, you prepare a table before me. When? Whenever everything's okay and everything's going well? No, in the presence of my enemies. 
I believe God wants to waken us up this morning. I believe God's given me some stuff this morning that I believe God is going to do something deep if we're willing to open up and to receive it. David says, he says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. We're going to see as we go on that David knew what it was to be anointed with oil. Listen, God wants you to know that he wants to pour out his Holy Spirit and anoint you with more and more fresh oil in your life. David said, my cup runs over. Surely, David said, goodness and mercy will follow me. A few Sunday mornings ago, uh, whenever Philip was speaking up here, Philip Emerson, uh, he, he did a thing speaking about about how uh, the, speaking about this psalm really and how uh, goodness and mercy it will follow us all the days of our lives and I, I laughed because he got a couple of young lads to, to come up and uh, he said I want you to follow me everywhere I go and he, he jumped ran off the platform and right along here and, and got the lads to run after him and he says this lad's goodness and this one's mercy and everywhere he ran these two guys were to run after him and it was really funny because Philip was running so hard the guys were lagging away behind and David uh, uh, Philip said come on Come on, come on, boys. And they were running after him. And you see, we need to realise that that's what that song says. Goodness, your goodness is chasing after you. God's goodness wants to follow you. He wants you to believe it. Expect it. Know that his goodness and his mercy will follow you. Everywhere you go, it's right there. God's not going to forsake you. God's a faithful God. You know, I have to tell you this. Jane has got a new car. And it's a fancy car. And this morning, she was standing in the, in the room, and I could hear her chuckling to herself. And uh, I had been talking about the goodness, you know, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And, uh, and she, she looked out and she says, oh, she says, I don't even have to go out the door and open the boot of this car. She's able to stand in the hall and press the button. And the boot the up. And she says, she says, I don't even have to go. I says, it's the goodness of the Lord. The goodness is following you, Jane. And she says, that's right, the goodness is following me. She says, and I don't even, to carry all this eagle stuff in, because she brings all the, the food every week. She brings all the milk and, and, the, and the biscuits and everything. She buys it herself and she brings it down here. And she says, I don't even have to open the boot now. I can stand in the front hall and pray for the boot open up for me. And then I go, see, God, I'm just telling them about you and that boot of your car, Jane. Just come in. So goodness follows after us. All the days of our lives, not just on some occasions, but all the days of our lives. God's goodness is chasing you girls. He wants to pour, he wants to pour his love and his favour and his goodness over you. He wants you to know the reality of him, God, in your life. Surely, David had confidence. He wasn't saying, maybe goodness and mercy will follow me. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, you know, whenever King Saul was chasing David through the wilderness, and he was running from one place to another to get away from that king, a crazy king who was out to kill him. I am sure there are times that David thought, this man's chasing me. He's running after me to kill me, to destroy me. But God, you're running after me to bless me and to protect me because you're my shepherd and you're following after me and so we just need to know need to remind ourselves of these truths listen if you and I want to go on 
into the best years of our lives, it means deciding to have confidence in God. It means deciding to trust him, no matter what you see with your naked eye, to trust that he's working behind the scenes and that he wants to follow you with his goodness and he wants to work out his plans for you. You know, I just wanted, I was really caught by these couple of verses uh, just recently, and David wrote these whenever Saul first started to persecute him. Psalm 59, verses 9 to 10. Let me just, only a couple of verses. I just think it'd be really, really good to read these. Psalm 59, uh, verses uh, 9 to 10. David said, You are my strength. I wait for you to rescue me, for you, O God, are my fortress. In his unfailing love, my God will stand with me. Do you hear the confidence in this? My God will stand with me. He will let me look down in triumph on all my enemies. What's going on in your life at the minute that's like an enemy that has just broken you, that has destroyed you? What's going on that is a problem in your life? God wants you to be sure that he will rescue you. He wants you to have confidence that he'll make a way that you will stand and you look down on the enemy. Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, he put it under our feet. We don't have to look up and see this, this enemy towering over us and threatening us. Jesus has defeated him. And we can be confident the way David was confident. Look at these other couple of verses in Psalm 57, verses 7 to 10. Actually, I'm going to go back. Yes, well, I'll just go from verse 7. Here's what David said. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. You know, I would love that we could actually say, could we say that out loud? Could we repeat that just the way it's written there? One, two, three. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. Sometimes we need to declare these things. Here's what David says. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up my heart. There's something that the enemy wants. Philip talked on Sunday morning about how we settle into disappointments and discouragements. And it's like our heart settles. We just, we just kind of think this is it. This is as good as it's going to get. And David learned to speak to himself and learned to speak to his heart. And he's saying, wake up my heart. You know, I'd love you to hit yourself. Good thought, not too much that you hurt yourself. But waking up your heart. Waking it up to know that God is for you, that he's not against you. Wake up my heart, David said. I will wake the dawn with my song, David said. I will thank you, Lord, among the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Do you get that? That his love is unfailing and it's as high as the heavens and we can't reach to the heavens. He's faithful. His love is unfailing. David said, your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. You know, when I was away, I kept thinking about God's faithfulness. He's a faithful God. And he wants you to know that he cares about you. And you need to be like David in that sense that you need to have confidence in his goodness and his faithfulness. You need to know that he is for you and not against you. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. And in the dark days when David lived in the cave, 
You know, I want to look this up because I've always loved Psalm 34. And he wrote this, he, David actually wrote this psalm, would you believe it? He wrote this psalm around the time that, do you remember he pretended to be mad? Because he was in, in the middle of the Philistine camp and the Philistines were about to kill him. And, uh, and, and in order to, to get out of the predicament, he remember he went up and he slabbered at the slabbers go down his face. I mean, what a place of disgrace. Isn't it amazing how so often when we feel we've disgraced ourselves that God brings beauty out of ashes? Here he is, he disgraced himself, pretending that he was mad. The Philistines thought he was mad. And, and around that time, here's what he wrote, Psalm 34, and we haven't time to read it all, but there was just a couple of verses that I wanted to just read to you from Psalm 34, uh, 4 and 8. Here's what it says. I sought the Lord and he heard me, David said, and he delivered me from all my fears. David knew the reality of being really scared, of being afraid of the situation he was in. And then he says, they looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. And then he says, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And then here he goes on. I often think of the David and his men. At this time he was living in the cave of Adullam, living in a cave. An outcast. Everything gone wrong in his life. And here he is with these men around him that have come out to him. All these, all these men with all these problems. And they're all sitting around him. And here's what David says to the, to the men. He says, he says, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fears him and delivers them. Can you imagine him there camping out? Maybe around the campfire? And all these men are sitting around David and he's telling them about how God delivered him out of his fears. And then he says, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. You see, David knew. David was a son of the tribe of Judah. And he knew the biblical history. He knew about Abraham. He knew about about all the things that had happened in the past. He knew, he knew the story that had been passed down and he knew that angels had, had actually penetrated into Abraham's life on many occasions and he had confidence that God would even send his angel to come and help him in his hour of need. Do you know something, folks? We need to waken up, slap your heart and say, waken up, my heart. God is with you. The Holy Spirit is in you if you've trusted Jesus as Saviour. God will even send angels to help you. Do you realize that we all have ministry of angels? Have you confidence that God's taken care of you and can even send angels to come and to speak into you and to help you and to strengthen you? How often, in the, I read a book when I was away about angels and it's just stirred me up again about angels. How God used them right from the beginning and sent them. They are sent at the, at the messengers that God sends at his command and often to, 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 to strengthen you, often to correct you and guide you, protect you, to be there for you. David had confidence that God was with him, that God would even send his angels. So we see that all of this confidence is here for us this morning. This is the first thing I think that we need. If you want to move on and into the best years of your life, then you need to have confidence 
uh, in these things that we've talked about this morning that David learned. The second one is if you want to move on to, into the best years of your life, you need to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we saw the last time that David, actually David was anointed three times. He was anointed as a boy whenever, uh, remember David, God sent Samuel to pour the oil over his head and declare he would be king. He was anointed to be the king of the tribe of Judah after Saul died. That was the second anointing. And then, do you remember because, uh, do you remember uh, Abner had, had, had pushed Esposheth? can hardly say that word, this Melisp, Esposheth, uh, this, this man who, was a, who used to be Saul's uh, captain of the army, uh, Abner had, had set up and promoted Saul's son to be king instead of David, and so he was only, tribe, uh, he was only king of the tribe of Judah for the first seven and a half years. And then we read the last time we saw how God had, had uh, brought all the tribes together. In fact, Ishbosheth was murdered. In fact, we didn't really go into that. And that was how the, 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 some evil men came and thought they would do David a favour and kill the king. Uh, David actually didn't appreciate that at all, which we'll see in a few moments. Uh, but God cleared the way for him to be king of all the tribes and he was anointed for the third time. But here's the thing, David was anointed with oil. When you receive Jesus Christ as your saviour, you are anointed by the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit. And not only are you anointed, not, John's a little gospel of John, a little um, uh, letter to, of John uh, talks about how, First John 2, 20, 27, how you already have an anointing of the Holy Spirit. You already have when you, when, you, when you trust Jesus. You already have an anointing. But not only that, as believers, we can have the continual infilling of the Holy Spirit. Not only to be anointed, but to have a continuous infilling. Ephesians says, don't be drunk with wine, but be drunk with the Holy Spirit. To, to allow the Holy Spirit to continually fill you. And we do that when we confess our sin and get it cleaned up and, and, and ask God for more. He's faithful and just to give you more. And God wants you and I to walk and to live under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he wants us to break the power of the enemy. Do you remember, it was, we saw the last time we were here, that David was able to defeat the Jebusites and take the city of Jerusalem Many were here the last week that we, the last time we were here. Put your hand up, just a good few of you. Well, you will remember then that the reason that David was able to, to take the city of Jerusalem was because he'd been anointed as king. And so he and his men came and defeated these Jebusites. Now, these Jebusites were pagan people who were on top of Jerusalem looking down at David. And, and these people were pagan and they, they, were, they were in bondage to pagan gods. But David was anointed as king and he was able to defeat them and break, break the bondage and defeat these people and he was able to move in and live in Jerusalem, the city of peace. And we looked last time at how God wants us to break the bondage that the enemy would try to put around us. And, and there's a beautiful verse in Isaiah 10, verse 27. The King James Version says, It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. So when you feel you're under bondage and there's certain things in your life in your life that is just tying you into bondage, then God wants you to know that his anointing, his Holy Spirit can break that off you to set you free from that so that you can move into peace. 
that you can actually live as David literally lived in the city of peace in Jerusalem. God wants you. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful illustration of how God wants us to live in peace with him. God wants us to know uh, the power of his anointing on our lives. And, you know, to, to, when we think of being constantly anointed, I believe it means that we're constantly cleansed. If we're just coming all the time, Lord, just wash me today. Make it a daily habit in the morning. As you're getting your shower, just say, would you just wash away, Lord, any contamination. Show me anything that I need to be forgiven from. Wash me fresh again. David said, search me, O God, know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There's something about living in that constant cleansing that actually, actually prepares the way for the fresh anointing. And the fresh anointing is what breaks the yoke. And we begin to find we're living in victory. Now, I'm moving on quickly here because uh, we've said, we've already said that moving on to your best years means that you have confidence in God. It also means that you know the anointing of the Holy Spirit in greater measures, even becoming full of the Holy Spirit. And it means also, if you want to move on to your best years, it means becoming established in God. Now, we've seen that, that God broke down the stronghold of these, uh, of these Jebusites and God gave the, the city of peace to, to, uh, Israel, to um, David and we saw, last time we saw, that David, let me just read it to you from, uh, let's just look, if you have a moment, look in your Bibles to Second Samuel chapter 5. This is where we got to last week. And it says that, um, that David um, had moved into Jerusalem. And then it says in verse 11, sorry, verse 10, So David went on and became great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. Then Haram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. Now, I have been thinking this past few weeks, what does it mean to know that the Lord has established you? What does that mean? And I believe there's a place in our Christian experience that God wants us to move into a place of greater security, a place of really knowing who we are in Christ, a place of knowing that God has established us. And there's something about being established in God that I think is so, so powerful. Colossians 2, 6-7 says, As you therefore, having received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. There's something about knowing that your roots go down, that you're not going to be blown all over the place, but that your roots are going down into Christ and knowing that he has established you, that you belong to him, that you are built on the rock Christ Jesus and knowing that this being established is going to mean greater moving forward with God into those better years that are still ahead of you. And I believe that God wants to speak to us about that because, you see, God wanted to, he wanted to, he wanted to, David to waken up to the fact that God was establishing. He, it wasn't that David 
did it all. It was because God had established David. And you know, whenever this house was dedicated to the Lord, I love Psalm 30. Do you know that Psalm 30 was one of the, it was the song that was sung after David moved into this new house. And in that song, there's just a couple of verses that really hit me out. Here's what it says. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, David, David had this song. This is a song he wrote, and he wrote it for the, the opening ceremony of his new home that God had provided for him. He knew that God had established him, but he recognized that he had come through hard times. And he recognized that even though weeping might endure for a night, he knew that the joy of the morning had arrived. He was established, he was going to go forward. And listen, ladies, I know that for many of you, if not for all of you, there has been weeping. There have been times of difficulties and times when there's been painful things in your life and you felt you felt you just maybe wouldn't come through it and, and things have been really, really hard. But I want you to know this truth and I'd love that you could actually, your heart would sing it out that the weeping might endure for the, for the night. But I tell you, have confidence that we have a God who takes us out into the morning where joy will come. Yeah. And God wants us to know that as we, and we all go through it. Do you know why we go through it? Because we're living in a, in a world that's full of sin. Because the God of this world, Satan himself, is, is, is working all the time. And I've been so aware of this fact that, that Satan is against us. But listen, we have one who has overcome the enemy. We have one who promises, yes, you might go through the hard times, but his promise is that for sure that the joy will come in the morning. See it through, trust him, even if it's a dark night of the soul. God will take you through. I've proved that in my own life so much. And so God wants you to know that 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 God wants you to know that, that coming through weeping will bring you into the joyful time, will bring you into the time when, like David, you will know in your heart that you've come through tough times and you'll know that God has actually established you because you've come through tough times. Listen, coming through tough times is not the end of the world. It's hard to go through it. It seems like the end of the world. It seems like you'll never come out of it. But you know, when we give those tough times to God, do you know what he does? He actually uses them to establish us. He uses them to teach us things that we'd never learn if we didn't go through those tough times. And he, he, he turns what the enemy means for evil. Promise you, I promise you, God means it for good. God will turn it around for good. He's a God who is able, I don't know how he does it, but he's able to work all things together for good. Not some of the things, but all of the things together for good for you. Because he wants you to, to know that he wants to establish you and he wants you to move forward into the best years of your life. To be established means to start growing successfully somewhere. To know the truth of Christ who is the king. Remember, Christ is the king of kings. And he's the one who's living in you. I love this verse in Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's in you, girl. He's in you and you are in him. And God wants you to know that to be established means to start growing successfully somewhere, to see God moving, to know that you're established in him. Now, I wanted to just, I actually wrote in your notes, uh, 
just the commentary that the Spirit-filled Bible gives on that verse, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I want to just read through it with you. Here's what it says. Christ being king clearly places the believer in the circle of all that is represented and contained in the king. So when he's king of our hearts, when we know that he's in us, when we know that we're in him, we can stand in the circle that God puts around us, a circle of love, circle of protection, and, and we can know that, that we, can, we can stand there and we can experience his personal rule. Let me read to you. Christ being king clearly places the believer in the circle of all that is represented and contained in the king. His salvation conquest, we stand in the middle of salvation, He's paid the price for us. We're saved. We belong to him. We're in the circle of his love. And we have agreed as we stand here in this circle that he is our personal, we give him personal rule over our lives. It goes on to say, the essential truth is that the Saviour King has come and in him the rule of God has altered the limits that sin has previously placed on individuals. So sin does damage us, but because we're standing in the circle of salvation, in the circle of his love, sin is, we're, we're cleared of the sin, the concept, God can come and we can stand in the center of his love. And it says people no longer, sorry, I want to repeat this. The essential truth is that the Savior King has come and in him the rule of God has altered the limits that sin has heretofore or previously placed on individuals. Up to this point, girls, in your life, the enemy, and I believe he wants to change this today, the enemy has put in your mind a limit as to what God can do. I believe we're all living with a limit mindset as to what God wants to do in our lives. And he's saying here that because we, if when we give the rule to God and we, we surrender to him, that he begins to alter the limits that have been placed upon us. People no longer need to be ruled by their flesh or controlled by the devil. Being freed, that is transferred to a new kingdom, they can know the joy of a relationship with God through the power of the cross and can realise a beginning. A reinstatement is the word they used. I looked up that word, reinstatement, and it means establishment. God wants you to know that he's paid the price for you to be set free, to, to, for you to know that you're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness, you're already in the kingdom of light, and that you can know the joy of relationship with God through the power of the cross and can begin to realise this establishment and rulership under God through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now that's a big mouthful. When you go home, you read that again, because I think there's something in that. And the circle has been really in my mind a lot. I read a book when I was away called The Circle Maker. You see, when we, when we realise that we stand in the circle of God's love, and when we realise who we are in Christ, realise our roots go down into Christ, realise that he is the one who rules our lives, when we give the rulership over to him, when we say, your will be done, God, you know more than I do, so you take charge, I'll go with you. When we come into alignment with God, we begin to know what it means to be established. 
because we're looking to him, we're agreeing with whatever he says in his word or whatever he speaks to us in our heart or our situation, and we're grinding ourselves and letting the roots grind down into Christ, and we have become established. And something happens whenever we realize that we're established in God. And something happens that gives us a new authority. And uh, so I was thinking a lot about this idea of the circle of God's love. I was thinking a lot about circles. And I was reading this book, and I want to, want to read this. It's a true story, and I wanted to read it to you. Actually, I'm the wrong page. Hang on a second here. I want to read that as well, but not just yet. Okay. So here's what I wanted to read to you. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they are insulting to God. God wants us, I believe, to pray for impossible things. When we pray for things that are just going to happen anyway, we don't really need to pray. He wants us to pray for impossible things. Now, I wanted to read this wee story to you, and I'm just looking to see uh, back a little bit further, Maureen. Here we are. If you know anything about the history of Israel, you'll know that they hit some tough spots. But the first century BC was one of the worst. An entire generation was on the brink of death because of a drought. The Jewish prophets had been out of commission for hundreds of years. No one could remember a single miracle. And worst of all, God was nowhere to be heard. But there was one man who dared to pray anyway, and his name was Honey. And even if the people could no longer hear God, Honey believed that God could still hear them. When it rains all the time, you don't give a passing thought, but during a drought, it's the only thought. And Honey was their only hope. Like the prophet Elijah before him, Honey was famous for his ability to pray for rain. And so with a six-foot staff in his hand, Honey stood in the front of Jerusalem and he began to turn like a compass in a circular movement until he made a circle right around him. He never looked up as the crowd looked on. And afterwards seemed like hours, but had only been a few seconds, Honey stood inside the circle that he had shaped with his staff. Then he dropped to his knees and he raised his hands to heaven. With the authority of the prophet Elijah, Honey called down rain. Lord of the universe, he said, I swear before your great name that I will not leave this circle until you have mercy upon your children. Everyone within earshot shivered. And though the words rang out clear, the volume of his voice didn't nearly equal the authority of his tone. Not a hint of doubt. This prayer didn't come from his vocal cords. It flowed from the depth of his soul. His prayer was resolute yet humble. It was confident yet meek. It was expectant yet unassuming. And then it happened. This is history, folks. This is recorded. As his prayer ascended to the heavens, raindrops descended to the earth. Now thousands of onlookers encircled Honey and a gasp went through the crowd. All eyes looked to the sky as the first raindrops parachuted down. But Honey's head remained, remained bowed. The people jumped for joy over every drop, but Honey wasn't satisfied with a sprinkle. Still kneeling within the circle, Honey lifted his voice over the sounds of celebration. 
Not for such rain have I prayed, Lord, he cried, but for rain that will fill cisterns and pits and caverns. The sprinkle turned into such a torrential downpour that the heavens roared. Eyewitnesses said every drop was the size of an egg. It rained so heavily and so steadily that the people fled to the temple, temple mounted to escape flash floods. Honey stayed and prayed in his fading circle. Once more he refined his bold request. Lord, not for such rain have I prayed, but for the rain of your favour, blessing and graciousness. Then the perfect rain shower began to calmly cover the dead and thirsty ground, filling the air with a gentle, peaceful mist. Every raindrop was a sign of God's grace. And they didn't just soak the skin, they soaked the spirit and refreshed the faith of all who were there that day. It was difficult to believe the day before that. The day before that day. It was difficult to believe the day before that this would happen. And the day after it was impossible not to believe. Eventually the dirt turned into mud and back into dirt again. After quenching their thirst, the, the, the crowd dispersed and, and Honey returned to his humble hovel on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Life did return to normal, but the legend of the circle maker had been born and it introduced a new normal. Listen girls, I'm telling you that we need to learn more and more to catch what God wants to do and to come into agreement and stand in the circle of his love and begin to declare, you see, to be, to be established means that you know who you are, you know that your roots go down, you know that you're hearing God and you're listening to what he's saying and you're agreeing with it and you know what happens? You begin to declare what God's saying and you begin to declare with authority because you're established. I don't know what happened there, but anyway, that was perfectly timed. <laughs> Job, little book of Job says something very, very interesting. If I can just find it. Job 22, verse 29. I actually meant to look this up and have it written down, but I didn't, so I have to look it up now. Job 22. Very interesting little, little verse in Job 22. Um, verse, uh, what did I say? Verse 9, was it? 29? Yeah, here it is. It's actually verse 28. Here's what it says. Verse, we'll go back to verse 27. You will make your prayer to God and he will hear you and you will pay your vows. You will also declare a thing and it will be established for you. You will also declare a thing and it will be established for you. There's something about knowing who you are and knowing that you have had your sins forgiven knowing that you have got rid of the stuff that's been plaguing you and you've asked God to forgive you, you've, you've, you've bowed the knee, you've said, Lord, I want you to be the ruler of my life, I want you to be centre of it all, I'm standing in the centre of your will, I'm standing here and your love is a circle right round me and you're stand, I'm standing right in the middle of it, Lord, and I'm rooted in you and I want to hear what heaven says and I want to call down what's happening in heaven on earth and I want to declare what you're saying over this situation. Now, when I was in Fortaventura, and we were just back there last Saturday, when I was in Fortaventura, I was reading this book. So I'm walking down on my prayer walk on the beach every day, and I am thinking, okay, here's the situation, and I'm saying, right, Lord, I'm going to draw a circle. So I'm walking in the water, and I'm walking around, I'm walking around Ireland. 
Because I believe God wants to do a new thing in Ireland. I believe God wants to break out where you're living and where I'm living and, and right north and south, I believe God. So I'm walking right and I'm walking up, Lord, I'm just coming up the east coast now, I'm coming up to Dublin. And I'm coming up now and I'm passing Dublin and I'm walking right in the sea and then anybody watching me thought I was we could do that. And I'm walking, I'm coming up now, I'm coming up the, up, right, I've just come up there to, New, up past Newcastle, and I'm coming up the Antrim coast, and I'm going across, I'm going across the front, and I'm right, Lord, I'm just coming across now, walking past those Jersey Rush, and then I'm coming right over, Lord, I'm coming to Donegal, I'm declaring, I'm walking around Donegal, here I am, Lord, right down Donegal, and prayer, prayer over America here, you're going to wake people, and I'm going right around, around the whole of Ireland, did that nearly every day. And people and situations that I that I am desperate to see God move in, I'm walking in circles around them. I'm sure one of the people that I was praying for, I was coming up from the beach and I suddenly thought of this person and I thought, oh, I forgot to got to pray for her. So I said, so I said, we do a wee circle here. So I just walked around and prayed around this person and just declared, I started to declare things. Started to speak out, God, do you want to break out over this person's life? I started to declare healing. And what did I tell you, when I got home, there was a text waiting for me that morning. This young woman's life said, had breakthrough. Look, it mightn't happen. Would it tell you something? Years ago, I'm talking maybe four or five years ago, a great friend of mine, we knew, we'd read about this way back then. And I remember she had a problem, a member of her family who was a great deal of problems. And I had a member of my family that I was really burdened about. And we put them in the circle. And we said, Lord, we're not coming out of this circle of prayer. We're going to pray around them, Lord. We're not coming out of this circle until you do this. Now, I have to tell you something. My friend's family member was her son. Everything that we prayed for has come to pass. I mean everything. Better than we could have imagined. Now mine still hasn't come yet. But I know it is. Because sometimes we have to walk around the circle for quite a while before it happens. But I want to breathe and, and pray that the Holy Spirit will break into your wake up your heart. To know. To know. That God wants you to keep circling. Now the trouble is, girls, that the older we get, the more we get into the left side of our brain. And I was talking to the girls, and I know we're time's almost up. I was talking to the girls in the prayer room earlier about this. Uh, again, this book uh, brought to my mind that, uh, let me read this to you. It's, known, it's, it's, um, it's a known fact that as we age, we think a little differently. We move from more of an imaginative right brain as, which we have as, more as teenagers, and we move to the left side of the brain, which is the logical side, as we become adults. Now, the problem is that this tendency presents a pretty serious spiritual danger. At some point, most of us stop living out of our imagination, and we start living out of memory and logic. Instead of creating the future, we start to repeat the past. Instead of living by faith, we live by logic. Instead of going after our dreams, we stop circling, we stop making the circle. But it doesn't have to be that way. As we age, either creativity overtakes the memory or the memory overtakes creativity. I tell you, I want the creativity. I want to live out of my right-hand side of my brain. Now, one of the things, I have to tell this to you. I had an experience, and actually I wasn't thinking of saying this, but maybe I should. You know, God is mighty and he's powerful and he's, he works outside the box, girls. 
And during the time when I was going through my marriage breakup, way back in the 90s, I had an experience where I was in a meeting one night and I went up for prayer and the man, as I was walking up towards the speaker, he put his hand out, didn't touch me, but put his hand out and said, Lord, she wants you first in her life. And I'll tell you something, that I felt like a little, almost like a little electric shock on the left-hand side of my brain. Now, I, I don't often say that publicly and I wasn't going to say it, but I'm saying it now because I've always believed that God shook up that left-hand side of my brain and that was the start of me actually even doing anything like what we're doing now. And I believe that God wants to waken up that old side. That is what nature, that is what the enemy wants you to live out of your left side of your brain. But God has given you a right side that's full of possibilities for imagination, for godly imagination. Let me just read on what it says. Prayer and imagination are directly proportional. The more you pray, the bigger your imagination becomes because the Holy Spirit supersizes it with God-sized dreams. A good test of spiritual maturity, please listen to me in this, a good test of spiritual maturity is whether your dreams are getting bigger or smaller. The older you get, the more faith you should have because you've experienced more of God's faithfulness and it's God's faithfulness that should increase our faith and expand our vision. And I believe God wants to waken us up to start to live and on Sunday night you know, this is the stuff I've been reading when I've been away and on Sunday night past we had a guy speaking here and what was he speaking about? About imagination about living, about giving God our imagination that we can put God sized dreams in here and begin to walk around in the circle and begin to see God moving in, in, in particular ways. Now I have to stop right there and we're not going to have time to do much more but there's one thing that I really uh, you can read this when you go home if you want to move into the best years of your life, it's going to mean forgiving those who've hurt you. And I haven't time to look at that. You can read the notes. David, David forgives Saul. He spoke well of Saul at his, at his uh, funeral. He spoke well of Abner. He, 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 he forgave uh, Esposheth for, for being on the throne and, and taking up seven and a half years of David's life. That goes without saying, forgiveness is a master key to you moving on into the best years of your life. But finally, I just wanted to have to read one new verse, because <laughs> uh, we've just gone over the verses we did last time. I want you to read down to verse 12 of 2 Samuel 5, and we're going to finish very quickly. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Now, I want you to look at this next verse. David's established, and uh, he's now king, and he, we would say he's got the ball at his toe. Look at the next verse. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also more sons and daughters were born to David. I want to say this to you, that when we know that God is actually establishing us and moving us and actually wants us to get into line with him and draw the circles of faith and begin to walk around and declare over our situations what God's going to do, that is the most dangerous time. That's when we've got to be alert. David was foolish enough to go and take more wives, more concubines. He knew that he knew the law, he knew the Old Testament law, he knew that God had said a king shouldn't take all these wives. He knew what God's plan was, but that was his weak that was his weakness. And I want to tell you that every single one of you has got a weak spot, and so have I. We've all got them. 
And we need to be aware of the weak place, the besetting sin that so easily trips us up. The thing that gets us again and again. It might be the wrong way we think. It might be a relationship that we've got hooked into that we, we just we just can't seem to get rid of and it's just pulling us back and pulling us down. It might be something that happened in the past that we don't feel we've been forgiven for. It might be something, it might be some person from our past that's pulling us back. It might be like a faith. What is your weakness? It might be an addiction. It might be constantly making wrong choices without bringing them before God. I don't know what your area of weakness is, but God is saying to us today, and I know that this is from the Lord. I honestly know this is from the Lord, because I tell you, God has been speaking to me so much about this. We need to deal with the weaknesses in our lives. We need to say, God, I'm giving this to you, and with your help, I want to close the door so that the enemy can't walk through this door and continue to ruin my future. For a lot of us, he's ruined parts of our past. Don't let, him, don't let him ruin and destroy your future. We need to close the door. Now, very, very quickly, and I haven't time to even tell you properly about this, but again, Philip told a story, I'm going very, very quickly, and then we are going to stop. Philip told a story on Sunday morning about a ship in 1953 that left uh, left Stranraer, came out of Loch Ryan into the Irish Sea uh, that was travelling down and a storm had been there had been warnings of a storm and this this captain of the ship decided he was going to make a go for it and he, it was very calm in the Loch Ryan but when he got into the sea he realised that the, the sea was a massive storm and so he actually turned the ship around uh, and as he did that uh, it was a ferry ship and I'm telling this to you really really quickly we have got the details of it all here but I haven't time to, to go through them but as he turned the ship around a huge wave just hit the back of the ship and, and just the water came right in where the, where the cars were and f- began to flood the ship and began damage the ship seriously bad and he turned it around he thought he'd make a run for Stranraer and uh, he kept drifting down the boat just lurching down the Irish Sea and uh, despite all the, uh, all the um, alarms that were sent up, the ship sank. As he was reading about it about one o'clock this morning, I was looking up on my phone and there was actually a, a missionary, a Christian lady who was there, who the record was that she was went around everybody comforting and speaking to them and, and singing hymns and, and was there to the end and she went down with the ship and in fact 133 people lost their lives. But here was the point that, Dave, that, that uh, Philip was making. On that ship, along with a few of the other ones, there was a door at the back called the guillotine door. And it was a bit hard to get down, it was a bit awkward. And so they just tended to forget about it and not use it. But if that guillotine door had been down, no water would have got into the ship. And lives would have been, do you know what's wrong with us? We, we are not putting the guillotine door down in our lives. We're allowing certain sins to be our favourites and to continue to carry on with them. We're allowing areas of our lives to, ah, to, oh, it's okay, the Lord will not mind that. And we're, we're, being, we're, we're indulging ourselves in our weaknesses. And God's saying, look, if you really mean the best years of your life, you've got to put the guillotine door down. You've got to say, God, I'm sick of this sin. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be in bondage to this sin anymore. Lord, close the door. God, I want you to be the one who's in control. God, I want you to take over. We've got to do it, girls. If we don't do it, we're going to be going round in circles, but the wrong kind of circles. 
We'll be like the wilderness going through the wilderness and we're going to keep making the same mistakes, repeating old thoughts. We're just going to be like going over the stuff again and again and again the way they did in the wilderness. Do you know what happened in the wilderness? They all died without reaching the best years of your life. I believe God sent us this morning. I know this girl as sure as I'm standing here. I know that God wants to bring us into the best years of our lives. And he wants us to raise a hallelujah. And he wants us to know that he can do more than we would ever even imagine or think. But he needs us to come into agreement. He wants to establish us, but he wants to awaken us and alert us to those dangers that would just crack open and just sink us. The enemy wants to sink you. God wants you to move into the plans and purposes that he has. I have other things I could have read here, but I haven't time. But here's the thing. I'm going to take a moment. What is God saying to you? I want to take a moment for this. What is God saying to you right now? I want you to think about that. What is God saying to you? Are you going to continue to repeat those stuff? What's he saying to you? And the second question is, what are you going to do about it? And I just want to give you a moment to think about that. What are you going to do about this? Just a moment's silence. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you for your presence here this morning. I want to thank you that uh, you are, are even now speaking into hearts. I believe that you are showing, you're showing individuals, Lord, the changes that you want them to make. I believe, oh God, that you're showing them that if they really want to go into the best years of their lives and experience the joy of walking in oneness and unity with you, being established and knowing that we're going forward, Lord, into, into your dreams and seeing miracles happening in our lives, seeing others impacted for the kingdom. God, I just believe, Lord, that you want people to see clearly the choices they need to make. Lord, I just pray that you would just do a new thing in us and give us the strength, Lord, and I pray for the courage for people to acknowledge what they need to do and to be willing to do it. God, the enemy wants to disgrace us. He wants, we know that David, Lord, indulged himself. And we know, Lord, that uh, this area of weakness was actually the, the area that, that made him cause a public spectacle, Lord. Lord, if he had only obeyed you in the area of wives, he wouldn't have got into the mess that he did. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to make decisions today that would save us from future tragedies and save us from, from losing our testimony and save us from having to go round, Lord, in the wilderness. God, help us to tighten up today. Help us, Lord, to put the guillotine door down. With your help, we can't do it on our own, Lord, but we can do it with you. So Lord, I just pray that you would just help us as we sing this song and remind ourselves of your goodness and how you'll continue to be good to us and follow us all the days of our life. Um, let's just sing this song. Um, stand together and sing it. Um, this morning I was meditating on Psalm 27 and the very last verse in that, I, 
just couldn't get away from and the whole time Maureen has been speaking I sense that God would say this to someone or some folk that are here and this is what it says wait for and confidently expect the Lord be strong and let your heart take courage yes wait for and confidently expect the Lord. We don't enjoy waiting. Wait is a word none of us really want to hear. But I, I just had this picture of standing, waiting along a roadside um, for Jesus to come. And we so often become impatient. It's not happening the way we want it to happen and so we take it in our own hands and we rush on ahead. Can I just encourage you to do what this verse says this morning, wait for and confidently expect the Lord. He's coming, he's coming into your situation, he's coming into my situation, he just says wait and expect me. It's a done deal, girls. It's happening. We just need to wait. I just have a sense that there's some of you and you're maybe going through a storm situation at the moment. And just before we started, Egal, this morning, the verse of this song kept coming to me. I, I wrote it down. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder. You're going to hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. Do you believe it? I just feel we need to, before we leave today, we need to know that we belong to the king. That he's alive. That we belong to him. That he's in our lives. And he has greater things yet for us that we have ever yet imagined. And I believe wait, joy is so right about waiting. Waiting is not something that is without action. Waiting is an active verb. We actually, in the waiting, that's where God does the stuff that's so important. Don't let's cut out the waiting. That's the, let our imaginations roll in the waiting. God, what are you going to do? Let's start those imaginative prayers. Let's start giving God our, the side, our right hand side, and let's start declaring. What he wants to do and declare it walk around it and declare it in jesus name and before we leave i just think we need you know david was from the tribe of judah and from his loins came jesus the greater son the lion of the tribe of judah he's a lamb of god who died for your sin but he's the lion of the tribe of judah who has declared victory and i think we need to let us shout out of us we need to shout out, praise his name. Let's do it under three. Are you ready? One, two, three. Praise his name. Let's do it one more time. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Let's say it. The lion of the tribe of Judah. What has he done? He has prevailed. Let's shout it out. Has prevailed. Your situation is already under his feet. For goodness sake, wake up your heart. And go out of here with a step in your heart that says, God, you're going to do what I've never even yet imagined. 
that you need to give it all to him. You need to do it his way. You can't do it on your own strength. It has to be him. Girls, go and come back next week and bring others with you. In Jesus' name, amen.